Welcome to Cyanary Information Nexus. Uh, we're glad to have you all back again today. My name is Joseph Hamilton. I'm your host, along with... Along with Joseph is his man's, the one and only, Mario Ortiz. Yes, the one and only Mario Ortiz. Um, so we actually have a fun episode for you all today. We're going to be doing things a little bit different um, than what we have in the past. Uh, we're going to go down a full-on conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And uh, we're going to start looking at uh, some really fun things today, some possible leaks from the NSA, um, and, uh, and crazy things that have happened in the cybersecurity world um, on the international stage. Um, so hopefully you all have a fun time going down this little rabbit hole with us. Um, Actually, it's. I think there's someone else here with us. Oh, I'm not talking about the government. Well, I mean they're always listening, but uh, but the one that we always want listening, the one we love listening to to everything we have to say is our is our own Hunter Isham. Hey guys, Hunter Isham here. Heard. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I totally just. Hey, it's all right, man. Yeah. We all forget about me sometimes. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's good to be in the back of the room, you know. It's, it's all about being that fly on the wall. You know, big brother, if you will. Uh, Hunter, big brother. Hunter's always listening. And watching. <laughs> and learning. I'm not a machine algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, what kind of got us on this note uh, within the SOC is um, we were thinking about uh, different kinds of threat actors that we come across. And... Um, you know, we have a few different classifications we look at whenever we look at threat actors. You know, obviously, the ones we see a lot are opportunistic, um, the ones that just kind of uh, come in and spray and pray, and then if they find a vulnerability, they're going to go in for it because they're just going to try to mess up your day, maybe get some money off of you, maybe not. Um, and then that translates into some of the bigger guys uh, are what we call APTs, Advanced Persistent Threat Actors. Um, and uh, for, for those, you kind of have two major categories, I, I feel. Uh, you have your criminal entities, and then you have your state actors. The Russians. That was it. No, that was it. Oh, just, just the Russians? <laughs> just the you, Russians. We're not going to talk about the Chinese, the, the Koreans, the Iran. Well, America. Mm. <laughs> cut that out. Cut that out. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not not us, America. We didn't say it. Are APTs also defined as non-governmental agencies? Can they be criminal? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously a lot of governments are criminal, but I'm not trying to put that Venn diagram together here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of um, circles. Yeah, no, uh, because I believe a lot of our ransomware uh, groups that we watch are considered APTs, um, such as uh, the Hive um, and that uh, came into being. Uh, well, not came into being, but... Uh, uh, came onto our radar very recently. You know what? I'll, I'll give you credit. It says they're typically a state-sponsored group. I looked up the definition. They're typically. Ah, uh, I'll I'll take I'll take the nuance. Wait, did you just Google that? That's, yeah, that's exactly what the government wants you to think, man. Uh, now they have you on a list, and they're listening. I mean, I'm I I am positive I've already been on this list for a while. <laughs> Some of the things we have to research here, <laughs> you guys. I do most of the dark web stuff here. Uh, there's no way I'm not on a list. <laughs> uh, yeah, so definitely, I think your foreign state actors are probably your your biggest APTs, right? Um, like I said, I feel like there is a criminal entity there that's starting, especially because they're starting to almost become commercialized nowadays with full-on corporate offices, service. right? 
Um, but uh, uh, but I, I, I do feel like your foreign state uh, threat actors, those are going to be your big ones. Um, uh, that uh, whenever it comes to the kind of technology we're going to talk about today, they're the ones that have access to it. They have the funds. They have the personnel. Um, uh, just all the resources are kind of in their uh, backyard so they can do whatever they want. Um, in fact, I mean, I think a, a prime example is uh, Stuxnet. Yeah, that's a great example of an APT group. Um, but who did it? Well, it depends on who you ask, I think, a little bit. All I know who didn't do it is Iran. Oh, you don't think Iran did it? You don't think they <laughs> sabotaged themselves? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they took out like a, a fifth of their centrifuges just because they, they wanted to. Well, I think we should give the viewers a little bit more background, if you will. Please. Um, so essentially, when Iran began their nuclear program, um, you know, we don't know who, but somebody didn't really like that too much. And so they essentially compromised the um, supply chain and attempted to put malware in a variety of the supply chains. I think the biggest thing is that it attacked the SCADA. Um, uh, so the, uh, oh, you guys gonna have me out. Supervisory data, or yes, I know what, Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition Systems, or SCADA. There you go, All exactly. Right. <laughs> All right, yeah. that thing. So it, it targeted their SCADA systems, and, um, and that's what allowed it to basically tell the centrifuge to uh, run at a speed higher than what it was safely supposed to, uh, to be going at. Um, and then what's more is they changed the log data on it to show that it wasn't doing that. So they didn't know that it was happening until it was already broken. And it was such a minute change that, you know, that damage would not have been completely finished for a while. Right. And uh, the, the scary part about it is, is we're pretty sure that it was targeted for Iran because of what happened with it. But shortly after that, it escaped out into the wild. And it's whenever it started getting to other SCADA systems and causing other um, problems um, that it really ended up, uh, uh, what was it? At one point in time, they were worried about it taking down the internet, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had to get rid of the um, domain name servers to be able to stop it. Yeah, so it was, it was a big, big deal. Now, going back to who might have done it, uh, the- Oh, be careful here. The prevailing theory right now is that it uh, was either a u.s israeli or u.s israeli joint operation um are they filing married but separate or married jointly i i, I guess married but separate oh heard yeah i think yeah. so too yeah so who do you think did it uh i, I think that was i don't want to go to jail oh okay mario who do you think you can go to jail oh I'm sorry to inform you, but Mario Ortiz, as his lawyer, cannot give any comment right now. Please come back again. 302. Oh, the 302. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think the malware just made itself. You know, I don't think any governments can make that kind of stuff. It's crazy how that works. <laughs> and like now the we Big get Bang. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we get into the real conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they... Uh, the. I think the most interesting part is what you mentioned at the very beginning, which is that they went after the, the vendor chain. Um, in this case, uh, it looks like they were uh, uh, attacking the Siemens uh, Step 7 software, 
Um, but they probably had it coming from a number of different hardware um, uh, uh, things that were just brought into the uh, into the nuclear base. Well, so more specifically, what happened is in this vendor attack, um, they were able to get the Stuxnet worm on a variety of computers. And then any device that was subsequently uh, connected to that computer was infected by that uh, worm. Um, and so they did this in hopes that eventually that worm would eventually end up in that facility, at which point it did. Um, and there's even an Iran scientist who thought that there could be a virus involved because they kept getting an error on the same step um, in mm. their uh, nuclear program. Uh, there wasn't any leads on that though. I couldn't find any further information on that. So I don't know if Iran possibly looked into that without us knowing and got rid of that um, and protected a part of their nuclear plant. I mean, it was already at such a devastating loss anyways, but right. I think things could have gone significantly worse. Um, and for and all we know, they didn't necessarily identify it as a worm, but maybe it's just a computer virus. And if that's the, so, they might have sanitized the one machine, not knowing that it was their entire network that was compromised. Or they may have fix their configuration per se, you know, get whole new machines, all that kind of stuff. Cause eventually, um, you know, how did that, how did Stuxnet end? I don't know if I, did they continue with their nuclear program or did they have to shut it all down? Um, I know that it took out, uh, only a fifth of their, um, uh, of their centrifuges. Um, I don't think it, I mean, I'll say this much. I know from geopolitical, um, uh, news, that it definitely did not shut down the Iranian nuclear facilities. Yep, that's what I'm reading. Uh, there, there, there have been so many other things that have happened since Stuxnet with those that I'm pretty sure they're still online and, and functioning and doing what they what they want them to do. Um, whether that be energy production or weapons of mass destruction, whatever way you want to go or who you want to believe, that doesn't matter. They're definitely still working. Um, so Stuxnet maybe caused a, a slowing of that process or caused some damage to it and some delays. Uh, but it did not take it out if that was its intent. Oh, here we go. Uh, 60% uh, of the infected computers worldwide were in Iran at one point in time uh, in August 2010. Wow, so that means they really did a great job of ensuring that that supply chain got in that area and hit a lot of computers. So it was, it was basically the cyber equivalent to biological warfare. Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you if you hit enough of the population, you will get who you want. <laughs> you just might take wow. out everyone yeah, else. Yeah, who cares about everyone else, though? <laughs> the collateral damage. Um, so, so that that's an interesting way of uh, of looking at um, attack chains and where they might attack, um, especially with these state actors that have the ability to infect an entire nation with a worm, uh, right? Um, so. What, what I found most interesting, we're going to go ahead and switch on over into uh, our ant catalog. Um, uh, what I found most interesting about this was how they like to do some of these things. A lot of it comes down to vendor uh, attacks or, or getting things in, into things without anyone knowing about it. Um, uh, replacing hardware, um, uh, getting uh, an implant that has, has like its own software uh, on the device, that kind of thing. And in some cases, even softwareless is what I was looking at. And I know this all sounds really um, malware-like, you know, like, oh, I know about all this kind of stuff. But I mean, um, after reading the Ant catalog, I've really found that they have a lot of really unique methods to implementing or getting their malware on a network and to achieve persistence, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, so like, for example, I mean, um, their ability to emulate entire cell phone networks. 
Uh, so they have multiple devices that you know can intercept individual communications on phones, but at the same time, they also have entire uh, broadband boxes that um, I, I probably just used the wrong word there, but I mean, they can entirely emulate an entire cell phone network and you wouldn't know the difference. Your data would be passed to the government and the government would pass that data to the real cell phone network and nobody would know the difference. Speaking right. about, speaking, I mean, we're talking a lot about this ant catalog, but can someone explain to me what is this ant catalog? Is it something with bugs? When did it come out? What's it about? You know, I know we're talking about cell phones, towers and government, the government. Um, so just because I know we've harped on it before, um, it's it's an acronym, if you can believe it. Um, uh, it's almost like our our entire being as an industry uh, came from a want to be like some kind of uh, high intelligence agency. Um, so the ant catalog or the uh, tau catalog as it's oftentimes uh, uh, also stated is uh, tau stands for tailored access operations and ant stands for advanced network technology. That's it. Um, so it's uh, it's basically it's it's their their technology and their uh, tactics that they were using in order to um, gain intelligence in certain field operations at the time. It's interesting. Um, and I mean, did they just they just gave this away? They just posted it yeah, on I was the internet. To say, how do we know about this? Yeah, <laughs> they just posted it on the internet. Well, I mean, it, it, it was it was a leak, right? Uh, so in, in 2013, um, it, uh, the Ant catalog got leaked. Now everything in the Ant catalog is from 2008, 2009. Um, so a lot of what we're going to look at is, uh, you know, the old like Nokia brick phones and the start of the iPhone um, generations and all that uh, fun stuff. Ancient. <laughs> so Ancient. Yeah, old, old tech. Um, but, uh, um, but it came out in 2013 in a magazine called Der Spiegel, um, which was uh, published by not Edward Snowden, though we'll get to him here in just a second. But yeah, it was uh, uh, Christian Stoker, that's it, and Judith Hor uh, Horchert. They're the ones who, uh, who did the uh, publication, uh, uh, Der Spiegel, along with Jacob Applebaum, which Jacob Applebaum is uh, most widely known as being associated with the Tor Project. Um, so uh, a lot of people think that the leak was given to them by Edward Snowden. Um, and I guess we have competing views on that. Because I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. Oh, I don't think we have competing views. We both know he didn't. Okay, okay. Um, because so Edward Snowden, everyone knows him for the WikiLeaks. Um, uh, was that 2015, 2016? Yeah, just about. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, and um, and with WikiLeaks, a lot of people thought, okay, well, he's a big NSA informant. They basically went back and said that um, uh, that Snowden. Um, was was the one that probably leaked the uh, the ant catalog as well. Um, however, uh, James Bamford, um, who uh, uh, specialized in United States intelligence agencies, um, he noted in a commentary article uh, published by Reuters uh, that um, the information in the ant catalog doesn't show up anywhere in Edward Snowden's WikiLeaks. He he looked at the entire cache that Edward Snowden released and all the documents that Edward Snowden supposedly had available and had released. Uh, he could not find any way of attaching the ant catalog to Edward Snowden. Um, so I think it's a lot of people just mixing the two concepts together. The fact that Edward Snowden was an NSA leaker and an NSA and an NSA leaker did leak the ant catalog therefore edward snowden must be the nsa leaker 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, it does make sense. Um, let's see. So Edward Snowden, um, during his final days at the NSA, he created a web crawler that he was going to use to grab what he wanted. And he did so in order for the United States to know what he touched because it would have that, the signature of the web crawler on associated with those logs. Mm. Um, and then after going through those files, the Ant catalog um, didn't have that. It, it didn't get touched by that web crawler. So they know gotcha. it wasn't him. Okay. There we go. So, I mean, that's that's confirmation right there. So, Edward Snowden has nothing to do with Ant Catalog. You heard it here first. That's right. We, we were the ones that broke broke that story. It Man, that's crazy not, how this works. Certainly was not on Wikipedia at any point in time prior to, to this discussion. So, what are you going to do? We can delete it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, uh, so let's talk a little bit about what all the capabilities were that, that the Ant Catalog showed us. Um, you mentioned obviously uh, cellular networks, and that seems to be a big one that they like to use um, with uh, cellular technology, kind of just being on the uprise at that point. I mean, this is you know early, well, late two thousands. Um, so uh, you're starting to get the iPhone to come out. Um, you're starting to get a lot of smartphones uh, just out and about in the populace. So with that, they're getting a lot more cellular traffic, which means it's probably easier to hide in it. Um, and then uh, uh, just the number of different uh, form factors they could use for it. It sounds like they implanted it in almost everything. I mean, we got some here that, you, like you said, are like full on like boxes that they could just place somewhere in a building and have it transmit data. Um, but some of them are also like inside uh, ethernet or USB plugs and transmitting over cellular data, which I thought was really cool. I mean, another one too, I, I believe that they have the ability to emulate uh, cell phone towers as well, not just the entire network. So, you know, uh, getting a bounce from one tower to another, you know, you can convince that tower that you maybe you're the next bounce in the rotation, or not the rotation, but in that line to get to the destination. Right. So then you're intercepting almost like man in the middle attacks uh, down down. Almost the like line. man in the backbone, even <laughs> not even man in the middle. They are the you, cell phone network. You cannot escape us. That seems to be the running theme here, where they disguise themselves and take all your stuff. That's what I've kind of noticed. Yeah, and they're really efficient at it, too. Um, I mean, we can move on from cell phone networks um, onto, like, routers and stuff. Um, a lot of times, uh, they would target uh, high brands like Cisco, Juniper. Um, and for some of these, they would actually put um, persistent backdoors in, like, the hardware. Uh, right. They would actually replace hardware in them and send them out into the field. And, you know. And they it, were managing to do that in the facilities is basically what we understand, right? Um, I believe they took them outside of the, like they weren't down, I, I don't, so a lot of these telecommunications providers and stuff, not telecommunication providers, uh, networking providers, um, they say they don't consent to this kind of stuff. Um, I have a hard time believing that people can consent to the government a lot of the, in a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> that, uh, what's that letter that you get? It has a little owl on it, I think, or is it a bird? What? An eagle, maybe? I mean, if it's from the U.S., I'd think it'd be an eagle. Yeah, I think it's an eagle if it's but from I the don't, U.S. You, but no, I don't no, know no, what you're what, talking about. What letter about. did you get? The, the letter said, I can't talk about it. Oh. Wait. One of those. Uh, and now we found our plant. Luckily, they sent us Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say anything, guys, but... Man, I've been pulling apart some stuff at the sock. <laughs> well, um, I want to say recently I um, I had heard about um, the government having the ability to just come on your network and install black boxes and mm -hmm. forcing people to sign NDAs on the spot to prevent people from even talking about that. And they could just do that to major data centers or anything for 
right. whatever purpose they deem. You know, you we, can, we can really hope it's to stop terrorists and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm sure some of it is, but, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of ethics involved in this. And, you know, not everybody has the same level of ethics. And there's just too many variables in these equations. Right. And I would like to point out, we, as Sinary uh, Cybersecurity, are not pointing one way or the other as to what ethics should be followed by the U.S. government. Um, These are more just opinions, if you will. Yeah, you know, this it, a, a post on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Some hot takes. <laughs> um, yeah, and another one that I thought was really interesting that they, they seem to love to use is radio frequencies. A lot of people think of it as really, really outdated. Even in the in 2008, 2009 time, it would have been thought of as being like old technology. But they're using it to get around like air gaps, to get around. Uh, so, I mean, you can try to protect your infrastructure as much as you can from, from you know, the outside internet. But if they have something that's able to transmit radio frequencies, I mean, that's really hard to monitor. That's not the internet. That's the thing. Right. You know, if you're monitoring the internet, you're not monitoring the source of the malware. And then, you know, you run into these questions like, oh, you know, do I need to be checking my workplace for uh, remote radio frequencies? But how, I mean, how, how do you do that? Even if you have something that would be able to monitor the entire spectrum, I mean, you need voice recognition software in order to be able to, I, I mean, I guess you could maybe do it off of electrical patterns, but even then, I... I just I think you'd have a hard time being able to single out. Yeah, you'd have such which, a difficult time to pinpoint where it or maybe not where it is, but what's going on. Right. Wh- which which frequency do I need to listen to in order to hear this? And then it's probably encrypted on top of that. And it's probably using an encryption uh, method that's not widely known. It's not something that's going to be necessarily easy to crack. I mean, we're talking about state actors here. So, um, yeah, it, the likelihood of you finding it becomes infinitely small because it's not something that's easy to monitor and it's not something that is regularly monitored well not even finding it i mean even suggesting that as an idea like oh we keep getting this malware you know what should we do we keep re-imaging it oh you know what i bet you it's those radio frequencies (laughs) you know you start sounding like a tinfoil hat man at this point the tinfoil so if we have a faraday cage and then we put it on our heads they won't be able to hear our thoughts. I just don't work without one. I think I need that signal. <laughs> <laughs> Got 5G. <laughs> ah, that's how you test for robots. Just put a, put a tinfoil on their head, and if they shut down... Wait, somebody asked to. <laughs> um, I mean, a little bit of it is just ingenious. How something that a lot of people think of as deprecated or obsolete technology is then used to get around the state of the art by the state of the art. Um, so I just, I, I think I think it's very interesting some of the questions that this brings to light. Um, I was actually talking with our uh, SOC manager earlier, Brazos Wortham, and um, he was talking about a, uh, and now I haven't gone in and I haven't studied it more myself, uh, but he was talking about the ability to uh, basically use electricity within just metal itself in order to uh, create RF uh, uh, signals. So that would mean that if they could implant the device, they could turn your, you know, your, your computer case into the uh, RF uh, transmitter. They could turn, you know, a little piece of metal underneath a table into the RF transmitter. They just have to be able to get the device on something metal and it can use it as an antenna in order to be able to transmit. Oh, this is kind of like how that recent song uh, was crashing those hard drives and got its own CVE, right? If you have enough of those specific conditions, everything will just line up one day, right? That's right. Oh, which song was that? 
It was a um, Janet Jackson song, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think we could look this up. Oh, we have to look it up now. Sorry, Miss Jackson. We, we have to inform oh, wait, all of our clientele that if you have this one specific hard drive from Windows 97. Ah, here it is. So a certain 5400 RPM OEM hard drive as shipped with laptop PCs in approximately 2005 allows physically proximate attackers to cause a denial of service, device malfunction, and system crash via a resonant frequency attack with the audio signal from the Rhythm Nation music video by Janet Jackson. <laughs> wow. So now all of our clients know uh, Janet Jackson is um, deadly to your network. Um, and uh, we're so sorry to all of her fans. Yeah, we actually have some explicit firewall rules. Yeah, we put those. those blocks in this morning to prevent us from uh, hitting the CVE. Um, so another really interesting thing that I think the United States government did that we can kind of look back on, I think is interesting is um, the NSA uh, exploited a lot of exploits in Huawei routers and um, the Chinese brand that uh, we currently can't use in the United or the uh, sorry we can use it in the United States but um, the government can't um, and I think it's really interesting because I imagine they already had a significant number of backdoors in them as we're still seeing to this day and to think that the NSA might have found those backdoors exploited them and then created new backdoors and a variety of other malware for Huawei specific uh, routers and devices that's an absolutely almost crazy idea to think that they were so far ahead. Uh, yeah, that actually reminded me of something. I'm going to look it up right now in order to make sure that I'm actually saying it um, uh, uh, properly. Um, but so f from what I understand, uh, yeah, Vault 7. That's what, it was, uh, that's what it was called. It was a stash by the FBI of zero days. Um, so they basically just sat there and they collected all the zero-day attacks that they could find, and they didn't tell the vendors about it. They didn't release it to the public in any way, shape, or form. They kept it. And now, you could obviously see from an intelligence standpoint why that would be effective. Number one, it gives you tools to be able to use against your adversaries. And number two is it gives you something to watch out for that your adversaries might try to use against you that they think that, will, that it will work because they don't think anyone knows about it yet. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense from their standpoint, but as far as from a, like, securing the country's networks standpoint, uh, it, it seems a little maybe, I don't want to say short-sighted, that doesn't seem quite right, but it, it seems maybe a little flawed. Uh, you know, I, I, I personally think the more secure you can make every network, the better off you're going to be against attack. Ah, uh, a man of reason. Sounds unfit for this government. <laughs> but, but I mean, really, whenever you think about it, that's what we're coming to as a whole right now in this industry is that, you know, the big companies like Apple, they're only as secure as, you know, some of their vendors are or as some of their small clients are. Because if those clients get taken and then they find a way to pivot uh, over to, to the Apple uh, services, well, now Apple gets taken, you know? So we have these large companies that have this ability to really um, protect themselves, but they're getting taken because of the smaller corporations that are associated with them in some way, shape, or form, uh, connected to their network somehow, able to VPN in, um, you know, able to, to RDP because they have this one workstation they have to be able to work with, right? Um, and 
that's just that's all over the place the world has become so interconnected that if we can't protect the smaller entities we can't really protect the large entities anymore what's that saying you're only as strong as your weakest link that's right all right coach what is this seventh grade all over again i think i passed seventh grade oh yes drop down give me 20 (laughs) that's that's the army not seventh grade oh (laughs) um another so you know on top of we talk about how the government can take these vulnerabilities that are being discovered and not disclose them um but one great example of companies disclosing them is microsoft discloses to i think it's the nsa it might be the fbi i'm not 100 sure which one of those two it is but they actually disclose their zero days to them uh prior to patching them as soon as they discover them they pass that information on and as microsoft likes to say they're not responsible for anything the government might do with that information <laughs> but unfortunately we all know what gets done with that information um, right. at the end of the day and that's just uh, it's it's almost unethical but at the same time too um to not have our country's interests at hand with that kind of power i don't know it, it, you know it's, it's almost an ethical struggle to think about it of like ha- being able to take all this information and use it well and then it's it's also you know there's an interesting paradigm shift whenever you start looking at it domestically versus internationally right so whenever you're looking at it from within the the country itself and now this is not just america any country and the way that they interact with their people their industries their uh, companies that are housed within their their country how they allow that internet security to play out and what they like to do with it from their intelligence services standpoint versus on an international stage you know so whenever we're talking about these zero days microsoft is an international company so if microsoft gives them their zero days and then they're dealing with something in china and china is using a microsoft machine well now that zero day becomes you know beneficial to them being able to do their job to some degree or another to to protect the american people to stop them from from uh from possibly hacking us you know whatever have you that's all in the realm of of you know james bond spy (laughs) stuff but i mean that's that's what it comes down to is you know it's one thing whenever you think about it domestically and you start looking at okay oh they have this zero day and they didn't tell us how to patch it or warn us or they might have used it on us how dare they but then whenever you look also at the international stage and you start realizing how that plays out, I mean, China don't have any problem using that zero day against us. And um, on top of that, we have, um, I believe it's called the Big Five, but it's an alliance of the United States, Australia, United Kingdom. Germany's in there. Is Germany in there? I think so. Let me double check. Um, but I mean, that's just a grouping of intelligence agencies that share um, a lot of the major intel they get, which being able to take your national intelligence level and populate that almost across the globe you know exchanging information for information and that kind of stuff i mean that that's extremely powerful especially when we share a lot of the same adversaries and the same allies and a a lot of the time our ethics align i I, you know i say that but you know we all have different definitions of ethics right Um, another exploit that I thought was pretty interesting from the NSA was uh, a lot of their server type exploits. Um, so one of the um, exploits I was reading on, essentially they would take control of a um, server somewhere upstream and say you made a request out to Facebook. Um, you know, they act, they're in that server and they see you make that request to Facebook and they actually have another server out there that sends you 
your response to sends that response back to you before the actual Facebook response can get there. And that's how they can infect your computer. And then by the time your computer gets that second Facebook connection, you know, 0 0.066 milliseconds later, it drops it as it's already connected to what it thinks is Facebook. That's very interesting. So, and I'm just asking you this because I haven't been able to look at it at all myself. Do you happen to know the the protocol or the hardware or anything that they're using in order to achieve that? Um, not quite. A lot of things are still secrets. Um, I do know that they have a tool called Quantum Squirrel. Uh, using that tool, they are able to masquerade as any routable IPv4, IPv6 address, um, which is a very powerful tool. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine if you can manipulate the data well enough, um, you can create the response you want. And so essentially by spoofing that server response, um, the computer accepted it and was able to allow them to create that connection, which would download the malware at that point and infect the machine with whatever they had. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, it, you know, and that's, cause that, that sounds, uh, I mean, maybe it's the word quantum that's getting me there. Um, but that sounds like it's an increase in the ability to process or to, um, to take the information and do it faster than, than the other entity is basically yes. what, what they're capable of doing. And I feel almost like that's where all this is going. Because like we've said, we're using some older technology. But even within the older technology, it's the ability to use these new um, uh, developments such as quantum computing, um, uh, such as uh, uh, fiber optics and, 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 and things like that, that allows it to process at such a higher speed than what it used to, but still be able to use a form factor like RF frequencies. Um, and so I, I think it's very interesting to see how all of it is the same to some degree, uh, because I'm sure, I'm sure they're still using the RF. Uh, um, the oh, rate. they have to be. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure they've also added things like um, voice, an uh, voice analysis on top of it uh, to where a machine learning algorithm is sitting there analyzing the voices that are coming into it over this RF frequency and deciding who's in the room based off of their voice. Yeah, I mean, Apple's already done something like that. If you guys have seen that uh, with a lot of Apple devices, I, I believe you can actually set it up to where it recognizes your voice versus other people's voices. And I know this because there are certain times where, uh, and th this was before, uh, you could just say, hey Siri, and then the Siri voice assistant would pop up. Well, whether, whether or not how well it works, my wife has it on her phone, but it never turns on when I say it. So there hmm. seems to be a lot of advance advancements with that. And if Apple's doing it, mm. So, and, and this is gonna be a little off the rails. Um, and tell our, our listeners a little bit about my past. Um, the lore. Yeah, uh, it just it reminded me of this funny story. So uh, I have this odd tendency to speak in, uh, in accents. Um, and uh, there was one day I was sitting all by myself. And for some reason I was having a conversation with myself in multiple accents, um, just sitting there going from, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, perhaps a Russian guy sitting there, you know. I just, oh, I want to know what you're thinking. That's that's all I want. Uh, I, I don't care if you want to know what I'm thinking. I just want to sit here and have a conversation with myself, all right? Uh, and so I sat there and I had this conversation. There was about five different voices I was doing at the time. Um, my roommate at the time had just gotten an Amazon Alexa. And I remember having read something on the internet of how Amazon Alexa was taking logs and how some people had found out how they could access the logs. And the logs were showing individual people. It would just be like person one said this, person two said this. Now, Amazon said that it was for the uh, voice learning uh, parameters that they were trying to get uh, Amazon Alexa to be able to do. Uh, but obviously a lot of people were very upset about their privacy and oh, it's recording what I'm saying because these were all data that they could pull, right? Um, and it wasn't supposed to be recording you. Supposedly they fixed that since then. But I remember that at the time and I'm sitting there having this conversation with myself. So I look over to our Amazon Alexa and I say, um, do you hear five different people in the room or one man having a conversation with himself in five different voices? And of course, she didn't know what to say that. She said, I don't understand what you're asking. And I said, um, perhaps I should put it another way. Um, Amazon Alexa, do you yearn for eyes? And she said, I don't have an answer to that right now. I was like, good, because if you did, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> 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 Anyways, a little bit about myself. I'm slightly crazy, but I'm in the right business. So we're, we're all okay. Yeah, I was actually going to mention something about Google products and uh, a lot of the home products nowadays and smart homes, all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of these devices have multiple microphones in them to pick up on you wherever you are, from whatever direction you are. Um, I have a few in my room, actually, and if I'm not facing them, they won't pick it up. They think I'm talking elsewhere based off of how it is is in the room. So sometimes I'll be facing away and I'll you know I'll have to yell, and I'm just like, why is this thing not picking up? You know, I look at it, you know, I speak to it sternly, and then it, you know, then it listens. But you know, I realized over time that you know you need to be directly facing some of these devices or have your face somewhere in the general direction so that way they know it's you that's talking and that it's coming from that direction. And that is directed for that device because, like I said, I have two devices in my room. You know, I can stand in the middle of my room, look to my left device and talk to it. And my right device, um, I think it syncs with it, but it doesn't actually have like the, hey, Google stuff pop up. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. I don't know. We're, it's getting into this weird juxtaposition between the human um, proclivity to anthropomorphize everything um, and uh, the fact that now all of our things are anthropomorphized a little bit. Um, so it, it's getting this, uh, like my mom constantly yells at our uh, little robot vacuum. She yells at it, she hates it. I mean, she also won't let it not do its job. Um, she doesn't like all of a sudden go around and start sweeping and, and doing all this other stuff. No, it's the vacuum cleaner's job, but the vacuum cleaner's stupid because it can't figure out how the room's laid out. And it keeps on going underneath the same table three times. Um, so it, it's just, it's really, it's funny to me how much we've started interacting with these things and yet people are scared of AI, but I mean, we, we already treat it like it's, it's alive. <laughs> yeah, we really do. <laughs> All right. That was a little bit of a tangent, but it was fun. So I'm going to give you both the ability to conduct a red team exercise on a potential client, anyone, but you have the same abilities as an APT, as an advanced, uh, one of our, our foreign actors kind of uh, friends. Um, 
what would be your wish list of like a small like we're going to keep it within the realm of what can fit in a backpack if you if you could take something with you and and use it it just if it's in the backpack what would you take all right so probably my first one um within the ant catalog i was reading about um a display cable i think it was a vga cable but in the ferrite choker of it they actually um implanted a radio frequency that would enhance the um, red signal uh, of the computer and they were able to actually art, uh, establish a remote connection with the computer and get full desktop view just based off that red uh, that uh, red color on the computer that's coming out of the monitor. Very cool. Uh, Mario, what about you? So probably in the same vein as far as what you're saying, there's something very, very similar to uh, kind of what I mentioned earlier, it's pretty much a softwareless keylogger where it's the same principle where inside the actual cable itself it's emitting a signal that can then be taken you know at an in undisclosed location where it, it will actually log all the different key strokes that that person is typing. You know, and there isn't any prior software that needs to be installed on that computer or that device, and all of their keystrokes are being taken. So there goes passwords, there go searches, there goes everything pretty much. Right. Um, another one I was looking at was, um, you know, we go back to these radio frequencies a lot, but um, essentially plant, putting implants on computers, however you will, but having multiple of them. So, you know, you have like a, maybe three out there on a network. And then you're able to use those to communicate between each other. And then all of a sudden it gets a lot more difficult to figure out where malware is coming from whenever it just pops up. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. It gets me sometimes just how it, it's like everything we do on steroids a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. And, yeah. And what's, what's the most interesting as far as all of this is once again, as I'm, speaking all of this and it's like wow you know this is crazy all of this was released like in 2008 2009 you know two dec a decade ago we're not that old yet a decade and some years old right as far as how much that goes and especially on the ant catalog here uh it talks about some of the pricing for some of this stuff you know i think i was looking at the pricing for the keyboard module that i was talking about uh i think i remember it being like 30 bucks or something like that like yeah to per, produce. Per, per unit yeah, yeah per unit something like that so for like 30 bucks that's like two meals nowadays right you can go and steal someone make a key logger and i mean you can only surmise that they've probably made it cheaper now for some of these um to be to be implemented i mean um you know with one one of my favorites was the one that it's literally uh, the RF signals are on an Ethernet cable, so so they can just plug in a normal looking Ethernet cable uh, into into either end, and all of a sudden now all the data that's going through that Ethernet cable is also being sent out through an RF uh, 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 transmitter um, that can then be picked up from across the street in whatever room they're sitting oh, in. Oh, the white van. Yeah, yeah, white van <laughs> yeah, stuff. No, that's exactly yeah. it. And uh, one thing too that I read that was pretty interesting. Um, so the NSA, I mean, it's gonna make sense, but so instead of uh, hitting like uh, individual computers, they usually like to attempt to tap entire networks. Mm -hmm. um, and since obviously networks contain numerous computers and all that information that goes in and out of them. Um, but I just thought that was interesting that they attempt to tap it. Um, I mean, it does make sense because it is passive versus active. Right. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that, you know, they're very official. 
Yeah, tell me about it. That sounds like a, a land turtle, but on steroids. Oh, and, yeah. And a lot of this is, you know, because like you said, they were trying to get entire networks, and that's uh, that technique is, is basically um, stated almost explicitly in some of the ant catalog um, uh, entries. That was before we got into heavy segmentation or VLANs or anything else like we try to use today in order to do our defense in depth. Well, now, uh, you know, that was already their, their MO. Now it makes perfect sense because now they're going to get access to all the different VLANs they possibly can. They're going to try to get access to every single segment of the network that they can um, and, uh, and be able to traverse it freely. Um, having these multiple points of ingress makes that all the much more easier. Another one I want to point out was the, just all the different cell phone ones because I, I find it really interesting. They had a lot. And the cell phone ones were interesting to me because it was the way they worded it is not only as an attack vector, like you can slip the cell phone into someone's uh, pocket or or you can try to get a hold of their cell phone and put this on it, right? So that their cell phone, you have access to it. Um, it wasn't just that, but there's also functions to it that were for the field operative themselves. So they would carry these cell phones because they had hot mic features on them. So now all of a sudden they can constantly be, if they're in the room, they can play it back later and they can listen to it. Um, there Some of these SIM cards actually have command lines on them that they would send out that would allow them to uh, essentially talk to the SIM card more personally and that kind of stuff and communicate it with on that level instead of, you know, talking to the phone. Right. Right. And so that way they could do it behind it. It's completely transparent to whoever's on the phone. Um, and then uh, and then also there were a couple that they had um, a specific uh, sequence that you could press on the uh, on the uh, number pad. And if you did that, it would send out basically a targeted um, geolocation. So if they, it was basically a panic button is what it was. If they got in trouble, they could just dial a number and then it would call in the team. And I just, I thought, I thought that was really cool. So, so some of them were designed for both offensive and defensive measures, uh, being able to, to use this technology in uh, a variety of different ways. And I just thought that was really cool. So Joseph, the year is 2022. What do you think the NSA is capable of? Mm. At this point, I would think that they have, to some degree, backdoors into every single piece of hardware that they can. So give me an example. You say every single, but give me an example maybe a viewer may not think of. Um, something that they wouldn't think of. Um, I mean... I, I hesitate to say that, that people wouldn't think of it, but also that it doesn't come to mind often enough, and that is just the Internet of Things. Ooh, there are yeah. so many different things around us now that are, are network-connected, and we just do not think about it. We don't even understand how half of them work. I mean, I, I imagine you know all the Google Home devices I have run off some kind of Chrome root shell, but I, I don't know how to get that, get into that, look at what's going on, um, all the information that's going on there. And I mean, you know, we watch networks for a living, but do you, like, do you have a Selks box on your, on your home network? Are you monitoring your network traffic? No, I'm not. You know, you know, <laughs> I've, uh, I've actually looked into logging into your smart home devices and that kind of stuff. And I mean, they, a lot of them are just Chrome root shells and I mean, they're pretty locked down, but it's still interesting the amount of information that they have. And it's like the Amazon devices, you know, you look at those and you're like, hmm, I wonder why you have so much information. 
Right. And then, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, they were, they were kind of tracking us a little bit. And then if you want to go on the really crazy end, and now this is something that this is pure speculation. I, I couldn't say one way or the other. But you were talking about the ability to read off of red light coming off of a screen, right? And and being able to, to take... From the cable. Right. Um, so all electricity, all light, all sound is merely waves to one degree or another, yep. right? And we are finding that those waves, I mean, they, they dissipate over a certain amount of time, but they're always present to, uh, to, to some degree or another. And, you know, it would be hard for us to make a computer maybe that would be able to do it, but with machine learning and, and I hesitate to use the term AI because it's, you know, AI is a broad category and there's a bunch of different things underneath it, but we know that we have language analysis. We know that we have machine learning. With those abilities tied to things that were able to read electromagnetic interference, um, the general waves in, uh, in uh, photons and, and electrons in the air, there's nothing to say that they wouldn't be able to look through a wall and see what you are doing on your screen on your computer if they had the right technology. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, I was also going to, you know, as we we're talking about smart devices, one that came to mind was like a lot of smart light bulbs and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And then you started bringing up light waves and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that could also be another medium if, you know, in the event you had in your secure environment, you invited Google Home. <laughs> <laughs> God, right. wouldn't that be awful? Yeah, it was, it was the Google Home automation again. <laughs> I mean, I understand the whole like going down, like breaking it down into physics and stuff, but I kind of see it more even simple than that. Uh, just kind of thinking about, you know, some friends' houses that I've been to, we have cameras all over the place for security reasons, you know, cameras outside. Some people go as far as to have cameras inside, ring doorbells, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, who's to say they aren't actively watching you? Because, I mean, even, even with something as far as like a Tesla car or any of the new electric vehicles that have cameras on them, they have LTE connectivity. So you can stream, you know, wherever your vehicle is, you can stream the cameras. So if you can stream the cameras, right, who's to say that you're not actually actively being watched? Well, and on that note, we know to some degree that that, that was an issue. I mean... We had, um, you know, kind of what happened around the Patriot Act way back when, whenever people were being surveyed by the U.S. government. And we learned that that was a real thing, that they were really taking our phone records and stuff like that. But, I mean, if you look on most modern-day laptops, there's this nice little switch here to turn on and off your camera. But it's not turning it on and off. It's putting a thing in front of your camera. Because the fact of the matter is, if someone gets to your system, they can turn that camera on and just watch, and there's no indication that they're doing so. And it's not, like I said, it's not that far-fetched to think that the NSA and the FBI and the CIA still have back doors into some of these major technologies in one form or another, whether it be on the application side, the hardware side, um, software side, you know, just somewhere on your computer is something that they can manipulate. Yep. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is it's probably there. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the, the scariest part about it. They have 
everything you are. They have your <laughs> web records. They have your passwords. They know what your voice sounds like if you have a voice assistant, right, or a home assistant. They know what you look like if you have cameras. They know where you live. They know what your house looks like, you know, and these, these are things that one doesn't normally think about, especially, like you said, when these Internet of Things, right, right. what we we buy them for that added security. They're actually doing the, the opposite for the government. Well, yeah, yes, it's, it's a big yes and no, right? <laughs> um, I think it all comes down to, it's a tool, um, and for better or for worse, our world is going towards this absence of privacy. Now, we have some say into how that absence of privacy works, and where we find it okay because let's be honest even way back when if you were suspected of doing something wrong the only thing stopping someone from barging into your house and and you know catching you in the act or watching you or doing any of this other kind of stuff or surveying you through a window was a social contract that said that that's not something that they should be able to do right and that's where we're getting to is yes they have these abilities so where do we collectively draw the line as to when those abilities are appropriate um you know just because they have the ability doesn't mean they have to use it just because this data is there doesn't mean anyone has to access it i mean we talk all the time about alert fatigue and and how and how you can have just that overload of information because on the human side we can't i mean millions of people you can't process all that so yes they they know everything about you so to say but they don't really know everything about you a computer somewhere has it on a database they can access that if they need to and they can get to it and look at your information and then yes they know everything about you but until they do that until they decide to access that information it, it doesn't matter whether it's i mean it does kind of matter whether it's there or not but but until they access the information it's like schrodinger's cat it doesn't really Matt <laughs> exists like I mean if you don't have anything to hide Joseph then you shouldn't have any issue with being searched even at random it fits but I hate that argument <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, I, I do I do think that it comes down to we have to agree on where limits should be drawn um, but we also have to accept the fact that this technology is out there and it, it allows us to connect to our grandparents, to the people we love and, and our friends and have fun experiences and entertainment and these cool experiences that we get to have in our technological world. But that technology comes with a little bit of a price. And, and where that, do you draw the line? Yeah. With your privacy. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? Oh, me? Me personally? No, any, I mean, just in general, oh. like with the, you know, with the government. <laughs> I mean, like for example, the NSA, um, they have a program called, I think it's called X key score, but essentially that takes all of the information that they have and they can only keep it for a few days. That's how large that database is. Mm. But I mean, you can query people by names, addresses, emails, keywords in their emails or messages that they sent and get all the records that NSA owns. And they share it with a few other, I think they share it with the big five, but I mean, that data is like, that data would not be out there unless they had a way to collect so much data that one of our largest government agencies has to clear out their database every few days. Right. Like that, that just doesn't happen. You know, they, they are getting all that data. And if they're getting that data, you can almost be assured the Chinese are getting that data on their citizens. The Russians are getting that data on their citizens. The EU is collecting that data on their citizens. Like 
there are no to, to some degree whenever it comes to this privacy issue I feel like there are no good or bad governments whenever it comes down to it everyone is kind of doing the same thing um, and partially because it's there <laughs> if I had to be honest well I, I think they just don't want to get behind of other countries right. you know you get this all day I mean at least from what I've understood in my career all this data is important whether it's important now doesn't matter data is just important in general and they'll find something to do with that data if they want to if they need to find a reason to use that data they will um, but usually it's just more important to collect data first and then figure out what you want to do with it afterwards and how you want to shape your future uh, formatting of it you know i don't know if it holds true right now um but i know it held true before and has a couple times in the past um, but there have been multiple times where data has traded at a higher value than oil um, it is more valuable as a commodity than than energy um and so and i think and i think that that kind of helps put it into perspective because everyone uh, you know conceiving data and its values somewhat hard it feels abstract but whenever you compare it to something that we all deal with on a day-to-day -day basis the price of oil um that really helps put it into perspective it's it, it is it's valuable all righty i think the government has heard enough of our opinions and what we have to say about them uh so thank you so much for joining us hunter it's always a pleasure hearing you oh no problem uh, have me anytime guys no problem you know i'm just an office away <laughs> We all share an office. We're, we are one. I mean, I, I put the divider up sometimes. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll come across the divider and get you uh, uh, every couple of weeks. How about oh, that? no problem. No problem. Thank <laughs> well, you guys for having me on. Seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you for being on. Um, again, uh, my name's Joseph. My name's Mario. And uh, thank you for joining us on our Cyanary Information Nexus. Um, always like to point out that you can join us on Cyanary.com uh, or Cyanary.com slash blog um, for our blog posts. And uh, you can also find us now on Spotify, Amazon Music, and um, Apple, Apple Music. Podcasts. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. That's right. Um, so, again, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all uh, next month. Cool. All right. Bye. So, next month. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to...